Good afternoon. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll make a start. Um, you're all very welcome. It's lovely to see you all. I hope you've enjoyed some sun and some good food. I did think maybe some of you might just need like a little afternoon nap around now, so feel free. It's, it's a prayer seminar, so you can close your eyes and look very prayerful and you will be, it's fine. Um, and we'll, leave, we'll just leave you to it. Um, I, I understand, especially if you've been out in the sun. Um, I'm Lucy, and this is Lauren, um, and uh, we're going to host uh, this next hour together. Um, I hope it's uh, not just having to listen to us, but uh, hopefully invite us on a little bit of reflection and prayer together as well. Um, so I, I suppose just to begin, why don't I pray for us as we start, and then uh, we'll, we'll share a little bit. Father, we are so grateful for just this opportunity to be together as your body, um, as your people on this island. God, we're so grateful for your presence with us. And we just, we welcome your presence even now in our midst, Jesus. Thank you for um, just your heart towards us. Lord, thank you for just as your ear inclines towards us to hear what is on our hearts, Lord, the things that we are holding and lifting up to you. And so, God, as we spend this next hour together, Lord, we just, we welcome your voice, the things that you want to say to us, the things that you want to shape in us, um, and, uh, and the way you want to work in us. So we, you are welcome, Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so, yeah, Obviously, this was quite a, a nice and vague, uh, nice and vague title of 24-7 Prayer. I work for 24-7 Prayer in Ireland, which uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's an international, surprisingly, prayer movement um, that, uh, that really just champions and mobilizes prayer across the church. Um, and, uh, and I get to do that in lots of different streams, lots of different expressions of the church all across Ireland, from right up from the North Coast all the way down um, to Cork. Um, and so it's my privilege to get to a little window and a little glimpse into all the different ways in which God is working um, in the church across Ireland. Um, as Lauren and I were chatting about our time together um, this weekend, um, I think the thing that was mostly on our heart was this idea of contending prayer. Um, and I, I always think when you have a prayer seminar, the people who turn up at prayer seminars are the people who are already praying. Um, the people who, have, who, who are praying, who have been praying and will continue to pray. Um, and so I don't doubt um, that for most of us here, uh, we have all been contending in, in one way or another in prayer for something, for someone, for some situation for God to do something. And it feels very much like it's that's the season of prayer that we are in um, at the minute. I think there's a, a hunger for a move of God, that sense of expectation um, that is rising. And yet at the same time, um, as the psalmist cries out, how long, O Lord, must I wait? Um, and I, I imagine that there are many of us can relate to that sentiment as well, that there's something of the contending and the hoping and the believing that God is going to do what he promised to do, but sitting in the tension of saying, and when will that be, God? <laughs> will it be soon? And uh, as I was thinking about this, um, this picture and this tension, I was reminded at about 10 years ago, um, I was at a 24-7 prayer international gathering. Um, and in a, on a personal level, I was probably at one of the most difficult and broken periods in my own life. And there was a word that was shared from 1 Kings 18. Um, and it's that, that part of 1 Kings 18 where, um, you know, that I hear the sound of 
of distant rain. And, and Elijah is, is, goes and casts his eye on the horizon and he doesn't see anything. Um, and it tells us that seven times Elijah returned until all he could see was a, a cloud the size of a man's fist. And I remember um, in that moment thinking, as I scanned the horizon of what God was doing across Ireland, I just thought, I can't see anything, God. And I remember my prayer being, Lord, don't pass us by. Um, and I went back to that passage again recently, and I really felt like as I scan the horizon at the minute, that for the first time I can see that cloud the size of a man's fist. And that's what I'm seeing wherever I go across this nation at the minute, wherever I am, um, from Cork and Tipperary to the west of Ireland, up on the north coast of Ireland in Dublin City, um, across you know, different parts of Northern Ireland, wherever I go, I am seeing groups of people who together are contending for what God wants to do in this nation. And I, and I, I just have that glimpse of that cloud that is hovering over our nation and God just saying, keep listening for the rain. Um, and so what we just want to do today together is just reflect a little bit on what it looks like to be contending in prayer and um, to be a people who contend. Um, Lauren's going to share a little bit with us about just the heart around Noah and what we sense God's doing here as well. Yes, um, just to reiterate, Lucy, uh, you're so welcome. And I think um, Lucy is so right that this is probably a room of contenders. And I think firstly, what is just on my heart to say to you today is um, I just really sense the Father saying, well done. Well done in your contending. And we hope um, our prayer for you today is that you would be encouraged in that contending. Um, as it hasn't been wasted. But yeah, just as Lucy's given a little bit um, of an overview of her journey with 24-7 and what she senses God saying, we thought it would be also um, good to just recap a little of what even we sense God is saying in regards to our heart for Nua um, in just the last year that has been. Um, so I thought very simply I would um, just point to a few scriptures and um, interestingly enough, if you were at morning devotions today, uh, the scriptures I'm going to touch on, they actually touched on this morning, um, and the other scripture um, Lucy's also going to dive into um, in a wee bit um, as well. But basically, um, as we prepared for New Year last year, um, we really sensed the Lord speak Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. And I would say most of you would be really familiar with it and we've talked about it already um, this weekend but it says but forget all that it is nothing compared to what I am going to do for I am about to do something new see I have already begun do you not see it and I think last year we thought the whole like play on words of new year meaning new oh God's going to do a new thing and that was really significant last year however Probably from July last year when we began our meetings about this year, uh, we continued to sense that, that um, God hadn't moved on from that scripture of what he wants to do in us. Um, as Andy talked about last night, as, as that seed, um, that there's still something new that he wants to do. However, we really felt that he took it a step further this time in saying just that I have not, like something brand new 
And the fact that we actually have no reference point for it. And I know I've been really challenged in that as we've prayed into Nuya this year and what God wants to do in us and through us and all around us. Um, But leading on from that, we also really sensed um, in Exodus 33, there's this passage where um, Moses, um, you'll, you'll maybe recall it, where Moses sees the glory of God, but it starts with, one day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me that you know me by name and look, I will look favorably on you. But if that is true, that you will look favorably on me, let me know your way so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. So there's this sense of like Moses wanting to know God more. But there's also this bit in that passage where Moses is like, I'm not going unless you go. And then the third scripture that uh, we've sensed really God have on us for Nia is very simply in Isaiah 64. And I know I'm taking you on like a tour all over these pages, but um, I think the word just speaks for itself. In Isaiah 64, we read, For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. And I feel like that's a bit of what we're going to go into unpacking around contending, that God is a God who works for those who wait for him. And I think that is the tension that we come across in our contending. It really is the waiting. But what an amazing promise that we serve a God who works for those who wait we just want to take two minutes, two or three minutes. Uh, we just thought it you know, would be really lovely. I know not everybody comes to seminars and really wants to talk. But we just thought if you could turn to the person beside you or somebody kind of around you and just introduce yourself, where you're from. Um, and if you are in a particular season of um, that, that word, contending what Lauren's talking about, that waiting, that holding on to God for something at the minute in prayer in particular, um, it would be really lovely to share that. Or what you sense even as you're here, what God is saying and doing um, in our midst as as is kind of as we come together. Um, and so it doesn't have to be a big, long, a big, long backstory. Just really simply, is there something in particular for you that you feel like God's really asked me to, to, to hold on in prayer for this one particular thing. And as I said, it, it, you know, the beauty of what God is doing in our lives and in the church is that that might just be that one person that you are praying for. It might be one particular situation. It might be a healing. Um, but it might be something bigger than that that God's spoken to you about for your own church community or for the church at large. And so let's just take a couple of minutes and hear from each other as well. So we'll call you back. So just Two or three, so that you have a wee bit, even enough time to just share something with each other. And if and if you're not in that season, that's okay as well to say, do you know what? I'm actually not sure what that is right now, and that's okay too. Thanks.
30 seconds, guys, and we'll call you back in. Awesome. Sounds like you have been contending for a lot, so that's great. Good stuff. Great. So yeah, um, to move on a little bit from that, uh, we're going to look even deeper at contending and just as a kind of like a beware, there is quite a lot of content between what Lucy and I are going to be sharing. And I just want you to really soak in whatever that is that you sense, the Father, the Holy Spirit, just nudging in you to even just linger there. And if you go away from today with one thing that the Father is telling you or, or encouraging you in, well, that's just amazing. So don't feel you have to keep track of, of it all, but, but let's dive in. So I'm going to be touching a little bit on, and then Lucy too, is how do we contend and what are some of those foundations for contending or of contending? And as you know, our three themes um, that we're um, going deeper in over now are hunger, holiness and humility and as Lucy and I have prepared for this afternoon we really think that actually key foundations to contending are actually those very three things hunger holiness and humility so let's um, take a dive in and I'm going to start with what are we hungering for as we look at hunger and just as I said earlier of last year and this year the scripture that is really resonating with us um, in Isaiah 43 I'm going to read it from a little bit further on and I'm going to read it in a different translation and um, what you're going to find this afternoon is we're going to give you time to just soak in scripture so let me just let allow you to soak in this passage as I read it from the message and then talk a little bit about what are we hungering for, that being a key component to how we contend. So let this just sink in. So Holy Spirit, we just say, come Lord Jesus, come and speak through your word. So this is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and they can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I am about to do something brand new. It is bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands, wild animals will say thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards. 
because I provided water in the desert, rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I choose, the people I made especially for myself, a people custom-made to praise me. You see, as I am... I guess over the last two years have read this passage, but lately read it with that question of what am I hungry for? I've been really challenged. So let me also disclaimer that what I share today, I am equally being challenged on. I am challenged in how to hunger for something new. So how to even process, just as I mentioned really briefly, something that there's actually no reference point for. It's that brand new. How to hunger for something that I have actually yet to taste. And I think this is the challenge. It is less about what I am hungry for and more about the only one that can satisfy my hunger. Or should I say, satisfy it in such a way that actually causes me to keep hungering for more and more of it? See, in a pretty chaotic world, I sense and experience this hunger, but I have an extreme urge, particularly, I would say, in the last year, noticing it more and more, to find it filled in anything that might just take the edge off. Like one of those busy days, I'm sure we all can um, identify whenever you think that actually caffeine will kind of sustain me um, or fuel me. See, sometimes I think we are hungry and we don't even realize it. And I think that's what my sense is even in this nation and in our world that we are so, so hungry, but I'm not sure if we really realize it. Sometimes I think we're filling ourselves with that thing that just never really satisfies. And again, I know I don't always recognize it. So I think my question for me, but also my question for us today is, so what are you hungering for? And I'd love for you to even just take 10 seconds a moment with that question. Just as it talks and sounds about search me, O God, and know me, um, I would love this to just be a journey where you're allowing him to search you and know you with some of these questions. What are you hungering for? But also, what are you going to, to take the edge off? And sometimes those questions can be a little bit harsh, as the Holy Spirit does gently bring stuff to the surface. But we want those things to come in order that we can hunger for him. So what are you hungry for? And what are you going to do to take the edge off? You see, even as we go about in this seminar, asking some of these questions and just giving it those 10 seconds to wait on the Lord for that answer, that in itself is prayer. That is in itself the asking, the waiting, the listening, and that's really important in our discerning process with the Lord, the stillness as well as listening. 
Cole, Arthur Riley writes, the restlessness of the world has possessed even my body. We must steady ourselves habitually in order to see the way we were meant to see. Stillness in, is a capable mirror. Just as we have taken a moment to be still, and we'll get a little opportunity to do that more in a bit, allowing God to search us and know us, I think this is a key foundation of contending. The foundation of hungering, but not just after anything, but hungering for the right thing. And I think it comes down to being still in order to even recognize what it is that we are hungry for. Not reaching for that first thing that satisfies us and not even contending for the instant answer. And boy, do I know that that one is really difficult. But being still long enough to recognize God, being still long enough to recognize God, even in the contending whenever we don't get the answer that we think God will give us in that moment. And I think this leads to our ultimately need for him above and beyond the answer I know um, even as I read this out loud, I'm challenged again and again that actually how often do I hunger more for the answer to my contending than I hunger after God? And I think that's a constant point of coming back and humbling myself before the Lord in that alone. But when we turn to Jesus, Jesus models first, I think, for us that being still. And what does contending look like? Well, often contending looks like being still. I think sometimes we think of contending as like the, the frontline fighter, but actually Jesus shows us another way. You see, there is a supernaturalness to his stillness that for us to model requires us to really rely on him and be filled with his spirit. Stillness requires strength, and it's his strength in us. And I really believe that he wants to refresh some of you here today with his strength. You see, today being still defies a rushed world where we so easily declare in our addiction to doing our own self-sufficiency, and self-reliance. You see, being still stills our being to the peace God has set for us. And I think in different seasons, that peace can look different. So as well, if you're here today and the peace has changed, I just want you to say, I just want to say that that's also okay. But lean in to him in that. So being still is that ultimate start to surrender, surrendering to him. And surrendering to him, I think we become aware of our hunger. We experience the uncomfortableness of it, but this opens us up to a new filling of him. Our being still is strength properly placed in the power of a resurrected Jesus. As I think sometimes I know for me, whenever I am in a rushed warrior-like pose, that I rely more on another power source, which is maybe my own contending or sense of contending over actually 
his resurrection power. And I believe that that is a posture of humility, that in being still, we acknowledge that God is still with us and that he alone satisfies. Being still, knowing he is God. I think this actually is what changes how we pray and it changes us and this changes how we see the world. And I think particularly at this moment in time, it changes how we see the chaos in the world, that we don't actually have to keep up in contending over the chaos, but actually what is opposite to chaos, I think potentially is our being still, knowing that he is God and praying then out of that place, praying out of that place of hunger for him. See, I don't know your story, and if you know me, I love to know and hear your stories. So I don't know what you find yourself contending for, but Jesus does. And, if, and that is where he longs for your hunger to be, to be with him. As when we feast on him, as we be still in him, that is where we learn from him. And I think his invitation to us is to get to know him. Getting to know him and being still, I think, is the key component to actually how we hunger, but how we hunger for the right thing. And Lucy is now going to lead us into our next foundation of holiness. Thanks, Lauren. Um, There's something really challenging, isn't there, about the invitation to stillness? Um, in, the, in, a, in a chaotic world. And I think what Lauren said is so true often that in our contending for, for what God wants to do, sometimes it's like we feel like we have to keep up with, with the chaos and the stress of the world. And actually the invitation to us is essentially to be people of his presence. It's to seek the giver and not just the gift. Um, and, uh, and there's something really beautiful in that. It reminds me of, of the Psalm, Psalm 84, you know, Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. It, it, you know, David writes, my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. And, uh, and then, of course, as it goes down, it says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And the psalmist reminds us that what happens in his presence when we make ourselves a people, firstly, a people of his presence, marked and shaped and formed by being people of his presence, that what happens in his presence in the midst of the confusion and the chaos and the pain of our world, that there is presence that is enough to heal, enough to restore, enough to give hope and enough to lead us um, forward. That is the invitation to us to contend for his presence first as the only possible way to do the things that we hunger for, to, you know, to see the things happen that we are longing to see happen, to see the things change that we are longing to see change, to see the things healed that we long to see healed. It's only when we first of all make ourselves people of his presence. And the reality is, is that in order to do that, that we have to, we have to find containers in our lives, don't we? 
containers for that, for that presence. Um, it doesn't happen by, by accident. So what are the patterns or the rhythms or the practices that will shape us for God's presence? And I think Lauren has already highlighted for us one of those practices of silence and of stillness um, and of listening prayer. And that is one of the ways in which we can shape our lives around the presence of God. Um, it's, like, it's like the psalmist says, you know, it's a daily gazing on the beauty and wonder of God. I think that's the only thing that will keep us going as we contend for what God wants to do. And it is the biggest challenge, I think, for us in prayer to make our primary agenda to dwell with God, just as he has longed to dwell with us from the very beginning. And um, Because sometimes in prayer, it's easier to focus on the asking, isn't it? When we focus our prayers on the other, and um, that feels like we're doing the work. That feels like we're doing the contending. But sometimes it allows us to avoid the challenge of simply being with God. Somebody once said, fighting for justice is easier than self-reflection and repentance. And um, because the reality is, is that when we spend time in his presence, we, yes, we are caught up in the awe of his wonder and his beauty and his majesty. But actually what also happens is that when we encounter his loving presence, it's a love that changes us and it's a love that challenges us. And it starts with us. It leads us to repentance and of course, repentance is a response to the love and the grace of God. It is this shifting of our whole way of thinking, our whole way of being, our whole heart's postures towards God. And that will often mean laying down and surrendering of ourselves. I sometimes wonder in contending if we want the fruit more than we want the pruning. That has to come before the fruit. And so holiness is this big word that, you know, often is hard for us even to fully get our, wrap our heads around, but it means being wholly his, being given over wholly to him, like David, not being satisfied with anything other than him and his presence. And we have to daily give ourselves to that type, that type of praying, to give ourselves to this. And 1 Peter 1, we know he, he quotes that verse from Leviticus. He says, be holy because I am holy. Um, and then whatever we think that means or that looks like, Peter goes on to say this, purify yourselves so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. And I love this picture of what holiness does. When we pursue God's presence, when we pursue holiness in our lives, it doesn't move us away from people, but it moves us towards people. Jesus's holiness did not keep him away from people, but moved him towards people. And so it is this, this transforming love at work in our lives, restoring us, healing us, forgiving us, freeing us that makes us formed more in his image in order that we might continue to move with him towards the world that we've been called to. Because the truth is that most of the things that we are contending for, it's, isn't it true that the things that we pray, most often the things that we pray for, we find ourselves being the answer to the prayer in so many different situations. Um, and so I think as God calls us to, and shapes us around his presence, 
is not so that we can withdraw and pull back and remove ourselves, but it's so that in his presence, in his holy presence, we can be transformed to his likeness in order that we might begin to move out and partner with him, participate with him in all that he is doing in the world. And so whatever it is that you are hoping for and longing for and waiting for, trust me, God already has an idea that you're going to be part of what that looks like in the world. Um, and so being people of his presence is the thing that will, will most prepare us and shape us for what it is that he wants to do. Um, the third thing that uh, we are looking at this weekend is, is, is humility. And um, Andy talked to us this morning a little bit about that. And I think in this whole area of, of contending and of prayer is often the challenge of hiddenness. It's so much of what happens in prayer is the unseen. Um, and so, you know, we are used to a Christian culture that, you know, says bigger is better and, you know, and louder is more. But actually so much of what happens in the kingdom of God is in the seemingly small and insignificant. And it is the hidden and the unseen acts of showing up day in, day out in prayer and seeking God for what he wants to do. Um, and there's a challenge in that. There's a challenge, I think, for us as the church to understand that I think we will be surprised by what God uses and who he uses and how he uses them in the days to come and what he wants to do um, in this land. And, you know, there's no question in my mind that God is in the business at the minute of he's collapsing platforms that have been built on man's ego and not on his kingdom. He's tearing down empires that have been established and he's in the business of establishing his own kingdom. And I think it is the men and the women across our island who have faithfully sought him in prayer for what they long to see him do in their own neighborhoods, in their own communities, in towns and cities right across this land. And so what I wanted to do um, just for a few minutes together is to honor um, you know, some of those people who've done that and to hear their story. And so Mark and Angie are going to come and share a little bit about their journey of contending for their little part of this land and what God is doing there. So come on up and uh, share with us, guys. Thank you. Mark's going to put the timer on for five minutes because <laughs> I thought the guy did great last night with his three and a half. So just a quick little bit of our backstory. Um, we have had the privilege of being part of two Christian communities, a large one, Belfast City Vineyard in Belfast, obviously, and then a smaller one, a 24-7 prayer community in West Belfast. And often we prayed, God, you're best for the West. God, you're best for the West. God, you're best for the West. And then we heard further West. So we thought that meant further into the heart of West Belfast. However, a whole other story, God made it abundantly clear that actually it was West of Ireland, south of the border. So we've had the privilege of living in Sligo. Um, for over three years now, and we're on the move further. Um, we are, we're going to be going to um, Marvellous Mayo. So we're looking, we're looking for a home in, in, in Marvellous Mayo. Um, but in actually arriving in, in Sligo, um, it was incredibly humbling to, to recognize that, that actually you've been prayed in, if that makes sense that we met two incredible um, couples, um, Bert and Val Werner, who had been there for 15 or more years at that stage and had been praying to see more people come west. And then Chris and Lynn, who were in Sligo, 
also who had been praying. But also just God's sense of humor. You know, as Lucy said, you know, we pray prayers and don't realize that you're going to be part of that answer. After a while, actually, God said to me, Angie, you actually are part of the answer of, of my best for the West. So it's like I'm a surprise to myself. You know, when you say that God uses surprises, it's like he surprised me that, that messy me who argues a lot with her wonderful husband, who cries a lot, who is incredibly unsanctified and is very aware of still being a work in process. Like that truly God speaks over me that, that I am part of what he thinks is his best for the West. He just, he just does things so differently. He does the more than we could ask or think or imagine. Yeah, so there, there just were two scriptures. There's so much that I felt I could say, which is why I'm on the timer. Yeah, good, okay. So there's two, two, two scriptures that I would love to share with you. One is that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I can make a lot of noise. I'm good at being passionate. I can be angry. I can talk. I can overthink. I can, you know, I can gather a crowd. I love people. But you know what? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And do you know what? Life is too short. It's too short. It's too short to labor in vain. And it has been the kindness of God that has led me to repentance. Um, on our wedding invitations, one of the scriptures that, that God gave us to put on our wedding invitations, which did seem a little bit odd, but I mean, we know that normal is a myth. You know, so, so it's okay to be odd and normal is a myth. But the, the, the scripture that, that we actually put was, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We're his living stones. And I've come to learn more and more about what that means to be that living stone. But without letting God build the house, I realized just to, like in recent years, I'm, I'm 52. I wish I could have got this when I was younger. But God in his grace and mercy and patience, it's like I could build a facade self. And that facade self would actually need the scaffolding of the approval of people to hold it up. Or I can actually present myself as a living sacrifice, a living stone to be built into his spiritual house and to have those rough edges knocked off. So that's my time up. Thank you for listening. Mark now gets five minutes. We... <laughs> Um, just sorry a quick insight because we have such a hard job sometimes even like we do love each other but we do argue a lot we couldn't even talk about how we would share other than you have five minutes and I have five minutes you listen to God I'll listen to God so I have no idea what he might be going to say now but thank you welcome to my world oh <laughs> uh, wow
Yeah, I just, I just had to go somewhere different, um, and um, so I'm going to read. I'm going to read you a poem, and and then a few verses, and I, I sense that um, we're we're the project. You know, we're the project. Um, God's heart is towards us, and and He wants us, and He's 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 constantly changing me, and and. Yeah, I'm the one that needs. I need. I'm the one that needs work, you know. Um, but I'll read you the poem. Follow the example of good men of old, where young and old with gladness dance with me, and give my house of hospitality. Don't store false treasure. Follow their example, these good men of old, and buy my field with moss-strewn gold. Two men and women who responded. These were empty vessels filled with treasure, hidden deep within them by my hand. Freely you have received, so freely you must give your plans to me. Right from the start, then you will truly live. Good men of old learn not to say, I'm sorry, I believe. I look not for wary, reluctant followers on the fringe. Instead, I shall follow in full community. My way marks to proclaim my truth, my name. Empty vessels standing low, awaiting the ebb or flow. From my deciding, guiding hand of waters hidden deep within the land. Son, they have little wine at this feast. And at her request, the jars are filled, even the best. The water now offered is made choicest wine. And the father surely smiles, oh, to respond, empty vessels, as good men of times past, and carry this vintage refreshment to those coming last. I, I, I long to be someone who holds the, the choice wine. Um, I long to be the person that God wants me to be. Um, and there's so much, there's so much to do. There's so much to do. Um, there's so much to do in me, but there's so much to do in the land. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from the Word and Genesis 26. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened his, the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. So there's wells across our land that need reopened. And we each have a, we each have a well that we need to dig and open up and let the water out again. And Ezra 1, Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. There has been plenty of temples across this land that have been destroyed. Um, I'll not go into the reasons for that, but that's but we need to restore worship in this land and 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 
And in Proverbs 24, just to finish, um, wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, communities, and through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and endure. Because of their skilled leadership, the hearts of people are filled with treasures of wisdom and the pleasures of spiritual wealth. So Lord, come and have your way. Have your way in me. Have your way in us. Have your way. Yeah, this is working. Um, thank you, guys. And I think um, I'm not alone in saying that that was just such a real practical story um, of, of a life lived in humility, um, hungering after God, um, and just a display of holiness. So we just um, we pray for you guys, and we also celebrate what God is doing through you. Um, so thank you. We pray that right now, we just pray that God would just fill you up afresh, um, even this weekend. So we bless you, Mark and Angie, in Jesus' name. Um, to, to kind of, um, for the last part of um, our afternoon, I was going to say I have the joy of sharing, but I don't know if this, this one is, but uh, we'll go there, is just to really address... Um, the topic of the challenge of contending. Um, I think it's sometimes easy to get up and to really um, give like a motivational TED talk on, on like, yeah, guys, let's, let's walk these walls of Jericho seven times and uh, the walls will come falling down. But um, sometimes it can be a little harder to really unpack what maybe a lot of us are actually feeling inside, yet we might not declare it with our mouth, that that is contending um, or praying for things that are really challenging is in itself a challenge, not even just to the extent of the waiting involved in that, but what contending does in us. And I'm going to touch on this and... Um, Bear with me if at times I pause to kind of scan, read my own notes to, to re-edit them as I go um, and cut some stuff out. Um, but you're a very gracious bunch and no doubt you can pray for me that I uh, edit the right bits. But um, yeah, prayer is the life experience really of knowing and being knowing and that, I think, is the journey of prayer that is unending, but it's also the journey that I think is essential to our survival, and it's essential for our perseverance in contending. And I read recently of this being called transformational knowing, as the call to know God and be known by God is the call to pray. You see, it's the call to relate as knowing is relational and the knowing of God and being known by God, that is transformational. And I believe that therefore contending, and yes, the challenge of contending um, is an amazing invitation. It's the invitation to know God and it's the invitation to be known by God. Yet alongside um, this journey, I think, what I have in my heart for us today as well is 
the sense that, yes, this is, this is so true. And yeah, we want to know God and we want to be known by God. But you know what? I've contended for so long about this or this. And if I'm being really honest, I'm tired. I'm worn out. And as Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 puts it, burnt out on religion, or as I would like to paraphrase that, as I'm burnt out contending. And my question again, as you search yourself, as you allow God to know you even this afternoon, is are you disappointed? Are you disillusioned? And have you become disheartened? And I get that. But yet again, I just believe that this afternoon, God really wants to invite us in that challenge to be known by him and to know him. I think sometimes we can fear being known by God in the moments when, yes, we are contending to a God that we know all things are possible for, but yet in that there is a part of us in the depths of her be- our being that's like, mm, can I really trust you? And we can be afraid to admit that to God, but I believe the challenge in contending is the invitation to be known fully by God and to let him know you that, yes, theologically, I believe God knows everything about you, but there's also something in God and his loving fallerness of you that just longs for you to come to him. The Critical, yeah, the critical Journey um, is an amazing book that takes us a little bit further, and they can describe um, the journey of, of knowing God or being known by him. They can describe it as this, like, wall that we hit. And as I read it recently, um, I really felt that this wall even applied to some of the things in my life that I'm contending for. And he describes it this way, that um, at this wall, it's the discovering painfully that God is not who we had thought God was, that God is actually very different. And instead of having God pretty well figured out, we now have to contend with a God who is much more personally available to, to us. We come to see a God we have had placed in a box of our own making and God takes on a new expanded view of his presence. And again, the invitation I feel in this um, to us that God would have is to enter into an expanded view of his presence. And just like we touched on earlier, I think My challenge, and I don't know about you guys, but my challenge is that do I want want an expanded view of what I think God should do in answering my prayer? Or am I ready to surrender and submit to his expanded view of his presence that might look differently than what I imagined? And I have to admit that even this year alone, that how I thought God would break through in certain areas, the God I thought, well, I know he heals and he can heal, or the God I thought, oh, I know, like, yeah, this is what he's calling, and I think this is how it's going to figure out. And if I just trust him that this, like, 
I love to be organized, guys. So this is like, yeah. But actually the challenge being to know God as maybe different than the God I limited him to in terms of my thinking or imagining of how he would answer prayer for me. And we can all slip into that. But again, I don't think God's coming to say, hey, you shouldn't have been imagining the answer to your prayer that way. I actually think Jesus comes in so much love to just meet you and go, yeah, I get it. I see what you're contending for. I hear that you're worn out. I hear that you're weary. And I hear that you're burnt out in contending. But I want you to know me. And I want to know you more. And I believe that that is the challenge, but it is also the invitation. So the challenge, yes, does require a humility. It requires us letting go of the tightly held expectation of how God will move. The challenge, heartbreakingly at times, is us allowing God to move the way he wants to that isn't how we thought we wanted to, but trusting him that his way is for our good. The challenge, I really think, is to be known by God, letting him know those deep parts of our hearts. And so much of this that I won't go into every detail of, but if you are interested in, the story of Peter is an amazing adventure to take yourselves on of how Peter knows Jesus or thinks he knows of this Messiah that is going to come and rescue him and his fellow followers from the Romans to actually this Jesus that he realizes isn't actually going to come through the way he thought the Messiah would. Yet it ends or doesn't, the story doesn't end, but it goes on to that moment when Jesus meets Peter on the beach. And as he reinstates Peter, and you'll know that story where I actually love this story because I think breakfast is my favorite food. Um, and the fact that Jesus makes the disciples breakfast, I'm like, whoa, Jesus must have known them pretty well. Like, um, come on. But in this beautiful moment, you will know the story that Jesus goes on to um, ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. And there's this interaction, and I'm going to really encourage you, rather than to take time now, to go away and sit, camp out in this passage and stand in the different positions of the story, be in Peter's shoes, but yet be yourself there and hear Jesus ask you a question too. Because Peter, in this knowing Jesus and getting to almost be reacquainted with this Messiah that looks different than what he at first imagined, Peter's last response to the Lord's question was, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. 
You see, I think there's a moment in this where in humility, Peter even acknowledges that Jesus knows Peter more than he knows himself. So therefore, I think the challenge in our contending is the challenge to let go of sometimes us wanting God to encounter our problems and allowing God to encounter our hearts. And I think that's hard. But yet I think that's where it's actually really a requirement for us to actually see Jesus just like Peter did and look him in the eyes and watch Jesus love you right where you need that comfort, right where you need that reassurance of his love. Because contending is a challenge. And I don't think we can actually contend without him. The invitation and the challenge is surrendering the outcome for what we are contending for. And it seems um, a little bit um, blunt to maybe go straight into, um, guys, we are going to spend some time ministering um, this afternoon for you or to you. But I'm going to ask you some questions. And within that, I would love for you to just be open for God to speak as we wrap up this session. So as I ask you these questions, just take a moment with the Lord. And we'll see where he takes us. Come, Lord Jesus. So where are you at in contending? What are you contending for? Has it looked different than you imagined? Has the timing been different than you thought it would? And in your contending, what has been challenged? And right here, notice his invitation. What is he inviting you to know of yourself? And what is he inviting you to know more of him? Meet him right here. And let him ask you a question. And that question could be just like he asked Peter, do you love me? Or it could even be, do you trust me? Or you might need to hear him say, do you know that I love you? And it's this invitation that he has for you.
come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work. Contend with me. And watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace as I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That, I think, is his invitation to you.